Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Sustainable Brown Girl on WQEE 99.1, right here in Noonan. I'm your host, Ariel Green. This show exists to provide representation for women of color in the environmental space, to highlight their stories, and to educate the masses about how to be more eco-friendly every day. Last week, we talked about reducing food waste at home as a way to cut back on methane and other greenhouse gases from entering the atmosphere. I talk a lot about individual action, but today we're shifting our focus to what's going on globally in regards to addressing climate change. A couple of weeks ago, I did an episode on how climate change will affect communities of color first and the hardest. In fact, many communities in the U.S. and around the world are already seeing its effects. If you missed it, you can find that episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform by searching Sustainable Brown Girl. This week is a big one in regards to environmental news. COP26 kicked off on Monday, November 1st in Glasgow, Scotland. COP26 is a global United Nations summit about climate change and how countries around the world are planning to tackle it. COP stands for Conference of the Parties and will be attended by countries around the world that signed the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, a treaty that was agreed to in 1994. The 2021 meeting will be the 26th meeting, which is why it's called COP26. This summit is widely regarded as humanity's last and best chance to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. Just a quick recap on what's been going on in the worldwide environmental news. Six years ago, nearly every country signed the Paris Agreement, which committed them to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. However, these earthwarming emissions have continued to rise faster than expected, despite those countries signing the Paris Agreement. So the Paris Accord aims to keep the global average temperature from rising by 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit which is above the pre-industrial levels. And if that fails, then the goal is to prevent it from reaching 2 degrees Celsius or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. But already the Earth has warmed about 1 degree Celsius. And it's been predicted by the UN that global warming will exceed 1.5 degrees within the next two decades. But um, back to COP26, this is the first time since the Paris Agreement that countries are revisiting their commitments under the accord. So more than 100 countries have already submitted new targets. But experts say that even these new goals are not enough to prevent devastating temperature rise. So there's a few things that are going to be discussed in COP26, one of which a big one is going to be climate finance. 
course, that's going to be regarding how we're going to pay for everything that's proposed um, in the Paris Agreement and what countries are going to be doing to reduce their carbon footprint and how it's going to be paid for. We'll be discussing what has been promised so far at COP26 later on in this episode. Another issue expected to come up is how to assist nations already experiencing loss and damage due to climate change. A big issue at COP26 is going to be coal. So the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has called on developed nations to stop using coal by 2030 and for other countries to phase it out by 2040. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, Another issue is going to be cutting methane emissions. So the plan is to cut at least 30% by 2030. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in this episode. And um, lastly is carbon markets. So this isn't something I'm going to talk about too much in this episode, but just a brief overview. In the Paris Agreement, the guidelines for how to implement the accord have already been agreed upon, except for Article 6, which deals with carbon markets and how to develop and implement these so-called international carbon markets, which will allow for the trading and emissions reduction credits. This is something I haven't done a lot of research about, so maybe I'll have someone on um, a future episode talking about this and how carbon markets would work and the benefits of them. But for now, let's go ahead and start talking about what's happened so far in COP26. Like I said, it's just begun this past Monday, November 1st, and will be going on until November 12th. So there's still much to be discussed, but some big um, announcements have been made already. First, we'll start domestically. So the EPA, or Environmental Protection Agency, unveiled a new plan to cut methane gas emissions by 75% with tighter regulations on the oil and gas sector. I think this is huge because 75% is a lot. And I actually read a little bit of the EPA's plan. And um, the basically, the oil and gas sector is the largest source of industrial methane emissions and contributes about 30% of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Some of the ways the EPA plans to address this sector is by proposing new guidelines under the Clean Air Act to reduce airborne pollutants, targeting methane flaring and leaks from oil wells and pipelines, and plugging abandoned oil and gas wells. So there's a lot of like old gas wells that aren't being used anymore that are releasing methane into the environment. So they plan to, you know, plug those up so that we can reduce some of that methane. Another um, industry that the EPA is targeting is landfills. So last week we talked about food waste and how 30 to 40 percent of food is lost or wasted in the U.S. 
that contributes to 17% of methane emissions in the U.S. And in fact, the most common material found in landfills is food waste. So to tackle this issue, the EPA will update landfill regulations to collect and direct methane gas into the renewable gas energy marketplace. So in 2015, for example, the EPA and USDA set a national goal to reduce food loss by 50 percent by 2030. So, you know, five years Six years have passed since then. I'm not sure how close they are to that goal. You know, we still have another nine years to reach it. But to reach that goal, the EPA and USDA have created programs and pursued food loss and waste actions, such as education and outreach, research, and community investments. Reducing food loss and waste seeks to improve food security and nutrition. It also increases farmer income and rural prosperity. It reduces pressure on natural resources. And it can help meet greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. So that's what the EPA has proposed thus far. They just released that plan this month, um, you know, a couple of days ago. They, you know, they're very ambitious and 75 percent of global or of U.S. emissions is a lot. Um, But of course, globally, there's a lot more greenhouse emissions being emitted into the um, air. And the U.S. has committed to cutting methane gas emissions by 30 percent by working with the European Union and dozens of other nations. And they plan on doing that within the next 10 years. So while we're trying to reduce 75% domestically, we're looking to reduce 30% globally. And one way they plan on achieving that goal is by investing in green energy projects in developing nations. For example, $8.5 billion will go towards helping South Africa ease its reliance on coal, and that will help serve as a model for other countries. So South Africa still uses a lot of coal, and, you know, that's a big greenhouse emitter. And there are other developing nations who also rely heavily on coal. So it seems that the first goal is to help South Africa. And then after that, they'll use that model and go to put that towards other countries. Additionally, the Global Energy Alliance says that it aims to raise $100 billion in public and private capital to expand access to clean sources of electricity for a billion people in developing countries. This will create 150 million jobs and avoid the carbon emissions that would have been generated by power plants that run on coal. The money will support initiatives such as the development of many electricity grids in parts of rural India. It'll help Indonesia shut down some of its oldest and most polluting coal-fired power plants and develop a hydropower project in Sierra Leone. 
So a lot is going towards helping these developed nations to um, improve their infrastructure and help them move towards green energy. In addition to setting goals to reduce emissions and slow the impacts of climate change, there's no doubt that we've already begun to see the effects, particularly on coastal areas and small islands. The leaders of Australia, Fiji, India, Jamaica, Mauritius, and the United Kingdom kicked off the Infrastructure for Resilient Island States Initiative at COP26. Its goal is to provide technical and financial services to make the infrastructure of island states resilient to climate change and disaster events. This includes improving early warning systems, flood defenses such as seawalls, and to build resilient infrastructure and agriculture to further to avoid further loss of life, livelihoods, and natural habitats. It's really important to invest in developing countries like India and Bangladesh because they're already seeing the effects of climate change. In fact, each year, half a million Bangladeshis are moving from their coastal homes and relocating to the capital city of Dhaka, which is now the most densely populated city in the world. Kolkata, India is experiencing the fastest temperature changes, along with flash flooding, intensifying cyclones, and rising water levels. Populated islands are sinking, and again, people will be forced to move from their homes. Additionally, at COP26, India has finally committed to reaching net zero emissions, but they've proposed the date of 2070. This is an important development because most other countries such as the U.S. and the European Union have proposed to meet zero emissions by 2050. India is the third largest producer of greenhouse gases following China and the United States. Since this is the first time that India has set a goal to reach net zero carbon, and it's two decades after the suggested time frame of, 20, of 2050, um, not many people are happy about that. But in my opinion, I understand why they've said that they can meet it by 2070. It's because they're still a developing nation. Unlike China and the U.S. and the European Union, India doesn't have as much access to funding as a lot of these other countries. Although India is the third largest emitter of emissions, they are only contributing 5% of those global emissions to the world. And considering that they have 17% of the global population, that's not that bad in the big scheme of things. Indian Prime Minister Modi urged developed countries to raise climate finance goals. He called for a global push to adopt sustainable lifestyles, and he's committed to getting India's railway system to net zero by 2030, which will make a big difference. I can appreciate that he's being, real, being realistic about his goals, and India now joins China, Australia, and Singapore as the few countries who will not meet 
the net zero goal of 2020. And if you don't know what net zero is, it's basically the balance between the amount of greenhouse gases produced and the amount removed from the atmosphere. So the goal is for the world to be to not be producing more greenhouse gases than it can remove from the atmosphere. As I mentioned earlier, the countries who have contributed the least amount to climate change are seeing its effects first. In 2020 alone, 3.8 million Indians were displaced by climate disasters. And India is only the seventh most climate change-affected country. Can you imagine what those numbers will be like in 10 or 20 years? Speaking of net zero, one way greenhouse gases are removed from the atmosphere are from trees. So at COP26, several countries have pledged to put an end to deforestation by 2030 and invest $19 billion in public and private funds in the plan. Among those countries are Brazil, China, Colombia, Congo, Indonesia, Russia, and the U.S., all of these countries, which together have 85% of the world's forests. Each year, they absorb around a third of global carbon dioxide released from burning fossil fuels. So it's important that we stop cutting down so many trees. Another 30% of carbon dioxide removal comes from oceans. I just learned that this year. Like, I had no idea that oceans can remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So again, it's very important to protect our oceans, not just for the carbon dioxide removal, but many people rely on fish and other sea animals for their survival. At COP26, the leaders of Colombia, Costa Rica, Ecuador, and Panama launched a new marine protected area to be called the Eastern Tropical Pacific Marine Corridor. This will play a big part in keeping the planet cool, safeguarding species, and supporting food security in this area. This marine protected area will give animals the room to feed, reproduce, and give birth also, the Eastern Tropical Pacific is one of the most abundant fishing areas in the world, providing millions in South America with food and incomes. It's also home to coastal mangroves, which protect people against tropical storms. Right now, only 7% of the ocean is protected, so this corridor will be a step in the right direction towards the goal of protecting at least 30% of the planet by 2030. As you can imagine, money is a hot topic at COP26. Someone has to pay for all of this infrastructure and green energy projects, right? Well, our favorite billionaire, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, has said his foundation, Bezos Earth Fund, will spend $2 billion restoring landscape and transforming food systems. After taking a joyride into space this past summer, he finally grasped nature's fragility and had a revelation of Earth's vulnerability. Overall, the Bezos Earth Fund plans to spend $10 billion on fighting climate change. Not sure if you can detect the sarcasm and disdain in my voice about uh, Jeff Bezos, 
But uh, Amazon definitely has a lot of environmental impacts that obviously aren't good. So to hear him saying that he's going to invest all of this money into the environment is good, I guess. But, you know, you also want him to and his company and other corporations to reduce their global impact rather than not changing much and just throwing money at the issue. I mean, it helps, but not as much as changing your um, company model. However, in 2019, Amazon did introduce the Climate Pledge, which is um, a commitment to building a sustainable business for their customers and the planet. And they pledged to be net zero carbon by 2040, which is 10 years ahead of the 2050 goal set by the Paris Climate Agreement. Over 100 other companies and 16 countries have also signed this um, climate pledge. So, you know, it's a step in the right direction. But as always, it's accountability and making sure that these people stick to what they say they're going to do, which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. The governments of the UK, US, Germany, Norway, and the Netherlands are providing direct funding of $1.7 billion to Indigenous people and local communities as recognition for their role in protecting forests. In 2020, a record number of people were killed for protecting their land, with more than a third from Indigenous communities. Indigenous people have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to land preservation, so there's a lot to learn. Hopefully, these funds will help Indigenous communities to protect their land and to also provide support to um, government agencies on how to do the same. The last thing I want to talk about in regards to money is how banks insurers and investors with $130 trillion at their disposal have pledged to put that towards combating climate change. And they said that they are going to make it the center of their work. We all know that money needs to stop being invested into fossil fuels and reinvested into clean energy like solar, wind power, and electric vehicles. The problem with this proposed money is that much of it is coming from companies who have heavy carbon footprints, like the aforementioned Amazon. Investing out of industries from which they make their money may not be in the best interest of its pockets. So when spending this proposed money, it's important for there to be transparency and accountability for these investors. Right now, it's just words, and no real plan has been set in place for how this money would be allocated. So there are lots of big promises being thrown around at COP26, but not everyone is convinced that the world's leaders will stay true to their word. Many protesters and activists have shown up to COP26 to pressure these leaders to make aggressive change to reduce global emissions. 
My favorite po- protest involved a Squid Games theme, which had some people wearing masks of Biden, Russian President Vladimir Putin, and Chinese President Xi Jinping as they play fought over an inflatable beach ball of Earth. Other protesters mimicked a giant game of tug of war. And this protest was organized by the Glasgow Actions Team in hopes to send a clear message to politicians. Stop playing climate games with our future. Also in attendance of COP26 are popular young climate activist Greta Thunberg and Ugandan activist Vanessa Nakate. So they've been on site protesting and speaking with leaders. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing more from them in the coming days of COP26. A lot of these protesters feel like this summit is just greenwashing and no true change is going to come from it. And they feel like these um, dates that they're, you know, aiming to reduce carbon emissions like by 2030, 2040, 2050, and now 2070 in some cases is too far away to make a true change. Another young activist who is a proponent of Fridays for Future from the Philippines, Mitzi Tan, said that the leaders aren't involved in COP26. She said that all of the leaders are out here protesting. Other protesters include many indigenous groups from Colombia, Brazil, Canada, and other nations around the world. They're speaking out against COP26, saying that indigenous people are in the front line of the climate emergency, but are not involved in the conversation going on in Glasgow. Also ahead of COP26, an open letter was sent out on behalf of 1.8 million fair trade farmers, urging world leaders to keep their promise to provide $100 billion in annual finance to low-income nations disproportionately hit by the climate crisis. The letter warns governments that their lack of action is threatening farmers' livelihoods and global food supplies. While these global leaders are having these big publicized talks about addressing climate change and making big promises, many of us remain skeptical. While some changes have been made, there's a lot left to be desired. Only time will tell if these promises will be kept and if the goals will be met. But when your president falls asleep on the first day of talks, it's hard to be confident. Yes, that's right. President Biden was seen snoozing during the opening sessions of COP26. I mean, I'm sure the jet lag is getting to him and resting our eyes during conferences has happened to the best of us. But it's really not a good look in this situation. Anyway, we will continue to watch over the next week to see what else comes of COP26. Anyway, we'll continue to watch over the next week to see what else comes of COP26. Other planned events will include Energy Day, which is happening today, November 4th, where the UN's No New Coal Pact is expected to receive new signatures. 
on November 5th is Youth and Public Empowerment Day. So we'll likely see more protests and possibly a speech from Greta Thunberg and other environmental activists. On November 10th is Transport Day with a focus on cutting carbon from cars. So we'll probably hear new national initiatives to cut the production of fuel-powered vehicles. Overall, I think it's great that this summit is being held to reset expectations and continue planning for the future on how we'll fight climate change. I hope that all of the promises made will come to fruition, but only time will tell. So that's our show for today. But if you want to keep the conversation going, please follow me at Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and Facebook. Check out the website at sustainablebrowngirl.com and send me any questions, comments, or topic ideas to sustainablebrowngirl at gmail.com. You can catch up on the full episodes of the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. Once again, I'm your host, Ariel Green. And until next week, let's continue to make better choices for the health of our planet and the health of our bodies. Thanks for listening.